0: What a Grand Prix. Pinks, you weren't there. I assume you were going mental back in London.
1: Absolute pandemonium in the Pinkoff household. That's the Pinkham and Wolbyoff household. Yeah, I mean, what another compelling chapter in this gripping page-turner of a can't-put-down novel that is the 2021 season. I mean, it had it all, didn't it? I had major FOMO that I wasn't there. Damon, tell me what it was like to be in Monza.
2: It was brilliant. I mean, I think, I think Martin said it's the most crowded and busy, the, the grid he's ever seen. It. We had Usain Bolt there as well. Eh? He's a big lad. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, was, he's surprisingly tall. He's he? surprisingly tall and fast. <laughs> and, he's, uh, and the thing is, he was there obviously because it was a sprint, or at least the day before it was. What a bunch. And then we had oh, quite a few more celebrities than we normally have. The grid was packed. And of course, heightened drama and expectations were high and they were fulfilled.
1: Well, we better get started with this F1 Nation podcast. Tom Clarkson, Damon Hill and Natalie Pinkham.
2: Ah! <laughs> yeah! It's McLaren and Ricardo that win the Italian Grand Prix. He won. <laughs> Lando Norris comes home to make it a one-two. Let's go. Yeah! Vamos, <laughs> vamos, get in there.
0: Whoa! Yes! <gasps> and for anyone who thought I
1: left, I never left.
0: So Daniel Ricardo was very confident this weekend. On Friday, he bet all his mates that he was gonna finish on the podium. I'm not sure I shared his confidence. Did you guys?
1: Well, what a start to the sprint race. I tell you something that did bolster our belief in him was that start where he powered through from fifth and then obviously was promoted to the front row with Valtteri's penalty. And then another incredible start on race day against Max Verstappen. We haven't seen that from Daniel for some time. Clearly, he was brimming with confidence for the first time in months. And it was just great to see. I'd love to say it was never in doubt, but I was so stressed and nervous throughout that race. I could barely watch because it felt like a very long 53 laps. But you do feel as if he's finally getting to grips with this car and we're seeing the best in him again. Talent is permanent after all.
2: He said he'd gone off during the holidays, during the, the break, and, and had a long think about it. So I don't know exactly what he'd asked him. I said, what were you meditating, yoga, what were you doing? He didn't tell us, but um, he's done something and it's clicked and he's got his mojo back, which is great. I never felt it was in doubt, actually. And And the most significant moment of the race
0: for me was on lap 12 when... Lewis Hamilton tried to pass Lando Norris and couldn't. Some brilliant defending by Lando into the first chicane and the second chicane. But the straight line speed of that McLaren was there to keep a Mercedes behind. And Daniel was inch perfect up front. And that was the moment that I started to believe that we were going to see McLaren on the top step for the first time since
2: Brazil 2012. And it's it worth pointing out, whatever happened and whatever the extraneous circumstances were and maybe in the sprint, you know, because Lewis didn't make such a good start and Lando got a bit of an advantage, but, you know, whatever... They were there on merit and they won on merit. Uh, their pace was there, wasn't it? I mean, it was it was great. The team, I was there for the celebrations afterwards. And obviously, it's a long time since McLaren have had uh, a race win, let alone have won two. So, you know, a whole team seeing them so happy. And that, that sort of summed up the weekend, really. There were so many elements to the race. And having the sprint in it as well, including the sweetness of McLaren winning and the sourness of um, Mercedes and Red Bull and Max and Lewis clashing. You know, so the ups and downs and and Valtteri, of course, was in there in the mix, even though he gets pole position, it wasn't pole position. You have to feel a bit sorry for for Valtteri.
1: (laughs) Yes, nine long years since their last win for McLaren. And it was 2010 when they got their last one, two, three long years for Daniel since he stepped on the top step, of course, in Monaco 2018. And there's something about this team that you just feel has been picking up and gathering momentum month after month. Brilliant driving all season from Lando Norris was an exceptional teammate this weekend. Obviously itching to try and press Daniel for that win, but ultimately did the right thing by the team. I thought he drove brilliantly brave and robust, as you say. Defensive driving was exceptional. What I want to know from you, though, Damon, is do you think that Daniel and Lando would have still got one-two had Lewis... And Max not taking each other out.
2: Yeah, I think they probably would have done. I mean, don't forget they tripped over themselves. They had both had very slow pit stops, and Max's was catastrophically slow. But they were struggling to make grounds on the sorry McLarens, who who actually had the pace. And I think that they could have they could have pulled it off all the way to the end because you know at the end they were really racing against you know what was left of of the field, and, and they managed to hold their own. So I genuinely think that was a proper race win. And Daniel set the fastest lap of the race on the last
0: lap of the race, which implies he had the little bit in his pocket in the laps prior to that. And you referenced the bad pit stops there by Mercedes and Red Bull. McLaren, on the other hand, inch perfect with both of theirs. I mean, it was a brilliant team performance and it was McLaren of old. It was McLaren of old and Andre Seidel needs to be thanked by a lot of people at McLaren. He's a very cool customer and he's put the building blocks in place during his two and a half years at the team now. And I just love everything he does. And even on a bad day at Zandvoort last weekend, he didn't get overly disappointed. He just was very frank and explained the deficiencies of their car around that track. Equally, when things were going well here, didn't get overly elated. It's just, we've got a job to do tomorrow, he said on Saturday night. And uh, yes, we're hopeful we'll be competitive, but it's one step at a time. And I love that attitude.
1: I've got a sneaky feeling, though, Tom, that he might have got slightly overrelated once the cameras were off. Because <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, he plays it very cool and calm, but there is a, a, a real feisty fighting spirit in the guy and I totally agree with you I love the hierarchy there there is such mutual respect Zach's done a brilliant job of empowering Andreas and in turn Andreas has done the same for everyone that works at McLaren giving them a sense of purpose believing them and leaving them to it to get the job done I also love the way that publicly neither of them have ever criticized Daniel. They've always thoroughly supported him and said it's only a matter of time before he clicks with this car. And I think that belief, both in front and off camera, has just fueled Daniel's confidence to, to go and deliver ultimately as he knows how to.
2: Tom, you called it the, the McLaren of old. I don't think it is the McLaren of old. I think it's McLaren Mark II. I think yeah. it's a rejuvenated, refreshed, and the chemistry is different. Uh, the attitude to uh, what they're doing and sharing their enthusiasm is different to yeah. the way it was in, in the in the past. I think that, that McLaren got a little bit too, you know, self-contained. Let's say, and and they kind of were a little bit of a closed shop. Um, they celebrated amongst themselves, but they didn't really share much so much as this team seems to be doing and it's a different culture i think formula one it's changed quite a bit people are quite um, much more inclined to up themselves publicly it really was uplifting to see it and the, and the looks on their faces they put Lando and Daniel on these very high steps yeah. behind normally the, normally the drivers are in front of the team on the ground uh, sitting cross legged but they managed to get some really high steps I was quite worried they were quite high up and it looks good. the pictures are going to look fantastic but so well done Zach as well because uh, uh, I think you know he's put together this new look team the chemistry of this team and, and he's chosen Wisely.
1: I totally agree with you there, Damon, because look, there's no two ways about it. It was a tough few months for Daniel. And I feel like hopefully that feels a long time ago for him now. But I think we should really give a lot of praise to Lando for just keeping spirits high throughout what was a difficult time. And that in turn has given Daniel the chance to play catch up and um, you know, show us what we know that he's always been capable of.
2: It was a touchy moment when uh, Lando was starting to squeeze mm. Daniel. And I was thinking, any minute now he's going to come on the radio and say, if Daniel just went a bit faster or got out of my way, then I could. And I thought, this reminds me of something yeah. <laughs> a while back in my well, he in did, Well, he did
1: say that, didn't he? I mean, he did say Daniel's driving too slowly. But I think that was more about Perez making yeah. gains on him, wasn't it? Daniel did prove at the end that there was still a bit left in the tank that he could push. And...
2: Yeah, but it was a situation. Yeah. And it, it could have got very interesting. Tom?
0: I thought Lando was very generous after the race as well in in his praise of Daniel. He seemed genuinely delighted to see his teammate on the top yeah. step of the podium. He said, I love... This result for the team. I'm re- second. Let's not forget, is Lando's best result in Formula One, and he seemed just genuinely elated for his team. I thought they were comments of a man much older th- than Lando's years. It was a, a guy who wasn't in his third year of Formula One. It was it was the sort of it was the sort of thing a Damon Hill might have said in his latter years. It was.
2: I was always in my latter years, Tom. (laughs) That's true. Started (laughs) at 33. I didn't get into F1 until I was over 30.
1: But Tom, you're right, because I think when you can when you're out of the cockpit, you can consider what you're going to say. But on team radio, as you cross the line, that's instinctive, that's reactionary. And he squealed with joy at that moment. He was genuinely elated. And that was great to hear. Obviously, going forward, he's going to want some wins as well. But, you know, he's got a long future ahead of him.
2: I think we should mention that. A brave move down the inside of Charles wow. Leclerc Cur- with Curva Grandy yeah. as well. Which was, you know, putting a wheel on the grass there is not um, not recommended, I'd say. But he kept his foot in it. and um, And what a brave pass, you know. And how significant and symbolic and kind of, you know, tragic for Ferrari at their home track to be passed by a team they're fighting for the championship with round that corner like that. So um that would have hurt Ferrari.
1: Did you think that Bottas, um, I mean, obviously he carved his way through the field brilliantly, but did you think that he would make a better play of it at the end or did he just take too much life out of the tyres as he was making those battles a few back? He, he lost pace, didn't he? He was putting in pumping in fastest laps after the restart and then sort of seemed to taper off a bit. Did you ran expect out of rubber. more from him? Yeah, was yeah, it ra- ran was out that? of
0: rubber. Is, yeah. It, yeah, I thought he was brilliant on the hard tire. Made really good progress and then uh, on the medium was really quick initially and then just he said I had I had about another 2 laps of rubber left in it and I just couldn't get past Perez and then it mm. was game over for me, he said. But hey, let's not forget that was Bottas's. I I said to him afterwards, have you ever done 19th to third before? He said, no, not in my career. So it's a first for me and praise to Bottas as well. He was on fire all weekend. A brilliant, what do I call it, pole lap on Friday to start the sprint race at the front, then ran away with the sprint race. He was brilliant in the sprint race. Even Andrew Shovelin, their chief engineer, said that was one of Bottas's he said it was his best weekend of the year so far in 2021, but one of his best weekends for Mercedes as well. Really, really
2: strong. I thought there was a hint of anger in his driving when he was out in the first few runs in qualifying. He was, he was really on it and uh, kicking up gravel. He said he overdrove and made a mistake, but that was the fire that I think we have we wanted to see from, from Valtteri. And once he got his fire up and it got a little bit of pressure up in the steam room there, you know, he showed how fast he really is but it was all overshadowed because he had to go to the back but then he could show he showed that he went from the back to the front as you just said but nobody really noticed because of so much dr- other drama that was happening up the front
1: okay well let's talk about that drama now that coming together of the two title contenders no one ever wants to see that because we want this to play out over the next eight races. There was a sense of inevitability about it, though, wasn't there? Because you feel that they're both so feisty, so firing on all cylinders. Hamilton comes out onto the racetrack now,
2: breaking into turn one. I, I made sure I left the cars with on the outside, and there's Max Verstappen right behind Hamilton. We saw that it was
0: going to be tied into turn one.
2: It's wheel to wheel, Hamilton and Verstappen, oh. and this time Verstappen and Hamilton have crashed out. And-
0: I was ahead going into the corner and next thing you know, I guess Max went over the second kerb or something like that. He obviously knew at that point he wasn't going to make the corner and he drove into me. As soon as I was next to him, uh, he just kept on squeezing me more and more to the left. And I, I still thought, you know, we'll, we'll just have enough space to make it into turn two, but unfortunately uh, he ran me a bit too much out of road. So then I clipped
2: uh, the sausage kerb and, and that's why we touched. The two championship protagonists out of the Italian Grand Prix.
1: Was it a racing incident, Damon?
2: I think Tom is going to say it's racing, and I hear this all the time. It's a racing incident. Let them race. But am I right, Tom? You're going to, to say. I'm, wait, I'm waiting to, to that? hear. You just finished making your point, and I. <laughs> okay, we know where I stand on this, which is that it's a racing driver's job to try not to crash into the other racing driver. That's that's really where I'm coming from. Sometimes it's unavoidable. Sometimes you aquaplane, or but when it's an aggressive uncompromising I'm coming through or none of us are coming through move then you have to say somebody has to come in and go okay that's going too far because if that's just allowed to take place and nothing is said then have them all off you know just run them off the road I mean I can play that game if a racing driver it's easy you just you know brake test people you just give them, barge them off, you know just do that. Um, But this is Formula One, and it's supposed to be about judgment and skill and making fine calls. But, uh, you know, somebody has to come in and say, "Okay, guys, that's enough. That's that's too far. That's not how we want to see the championship decided. We want people to overtake. We want brave moves. I mean, Daniel Ricardos and Fernando Alonso are some of the best overtakers in the sport, and they don't crash into people.
0: I actually think the stewards got it bang on right in that I think no driver was 100% to blame, but I think Max was a little bit more to blame. Hence, he got the three-place grid penalty for Russia. But can we break it down moment by moment? Just talk through the run into that first chicane. So
2: they're coming down into the braking zone. Uh, well, wait, you've got to go back to the pit stop, Tom, because mm. Max lost chunks of time. So he's now fired up because he's he couldn't get out of the garage, out of out of the pit lane. You know, and there's a screw up on the pit. on, And now he's thinking...
1: A human error. Now
2: he's Yeah.
0: Do you think that affected his judgment? Is that why we need to take it back to the pit stop?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's as a racing driver, you hate it when you lose time and you then feel greater urgency to make it up again. It's a bit like putting money in a slot machine. You know, you keep losing. Your, you want to keep putting more money in to get it back again. Like a double whammy. <laughs> I've just lost a stack of time in the pits.
0: And now, look, he's about to overtake me. Okay. So Max has lost 11 seconds stationary in in the pits. He's come out a little bit angry, as Damon has just said, right? They're approaching the first chicane now. Lewis is on the inside. Max is on the outside. Max uh, has to put his left-hand wheels onto the green curbing on the left-hand side. Do we as a group agree that that was just... Fair racing or, as Max suggested after the race, do we think Lewis was squeezing him too much, even at that point of the corner?
2: Well, uh, well, hang on a minute. Go back to lap one where Lewis is on the outside going into the turn two. He goes to go around the outside of Max. Max has got the inside line and he realizes it's not going to work. And Max left him no room, which is fair because it's optimistic to go around the outside and the inner chicane like that. So Lewis goes, OK, I'm blown this one. I'm going to go across the the bumble strips, and uh, and cuts a corner and, and reverts back to where he was, which I think was a mistake from his point of view. He, sh- he shouldn't have got suckered into that move anyway. So now, if Max is accusing Lewis of squeezing him, I don't think it was an unfair amount of pressure on, on Max. He had just about enough room to get go down the outside if he wanted to, which he did.
1: Now, the problem with these kerbs, TC, is they're, they're pretty aggressive, aren't they? And he sort of boinged back in because of them.
0: Well, no, but Pinks, the the, the left-hand kerb under braking is actually quite flat, so that wouldn't have unsettled his car. Hence, he was able to get a nice run around the outside of Lewis through the right-hander. Do we then think, because Max said later, that Lewis then squeezed him to the left prior to turning left in the second part of that chicane? Yeah, yeah I think he probably did. I think he probably left him... As little room as possible. I mean, there there wasn't a car width, was there? Max was obviously assuming that Lewis was going to leave him a car width through that left-hander.
2: No, he did. No, why would he do that? Because he's never had a He never even had a nose ahead. You know, Lewis was always in front. He always had that corner. And, you know, I'm just I'm just saying from the point of view of the cockpit of someone who's raced. If I was not a nose ahead going round that the first right-hander, I would not assume that the guy on the outside is going to let me through. I would assume he's going to go for the apex and I better get the hell out of there because otherwise I'm going to lose my front wing or I'm going to, we're going to collide. But then I'm not Max Verstappen, you know, I understand. I'm not Max Verstappen, but. But but Max has a problem at this point, though, in that
0: he can't bail out because that sausage curb, the one that actually launched him, launched him into Lewis. I was talking
1: about, yeah, I was talking about the sausage curb. You've done you've done a, a, a millisecond by millisecond breakdown of this. It's wonderful. Yes. But I'm trying to remember it.
0: Pinks, we are the stewards from here. But I, I once he was alongside that sausage curb, he couldn't bail out because he risked damaging his car if he turned left at that point.
1: Yeah, yeah. And
0: if you're a racing driver, I'm gonna sound like Erton Senna. If you're a racing driver, you have to go for a gap or whatever it was. But I think Max is a is a one of the most racy racing drivers, isn't he? And For him to bail out, he had to bail out so early in that chicane that I think that just doesn't compute with him. So, I think that explains why he stayed in it. And ultimately, the crash was inevitable, wasn't it, as a result?
1: I think you've just answered your own question, TC. That just doesn't compute with him. That is the way he's wired. And that is why he's so brilliant. But equally, that is why he will come a cropper at times like these. And I don't know if you'll ever change, whether you ever mature out of it. Probably not. I mean, he is still very young. Whether that comes with more experience, as we've seen with Lewis and people like Seb Vettel and Daniel Ricciardo and Fernando Alonso. But again, this is what makes him so brilliant. There is a ruthless streak in him to not pull out at any cost. I think the thing is, when when they did come together, It was almost in slow motion and so you thought it was fairly innocuous and it wasn't until the slow-mo replay that you realised just how serious this could have been without the halo. If it had been a high-speed crash, that had been the drama that we saw at Silverstone and yet actually this was potentially more serious because the whole wheel went into the cockpit of the car. My God, it's like, you know, your heart was in your mouth.
2: Yeah, I mean, that, that is not something that anyone could have predicted. I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, anytime it, you collide, then anything can happen. And so you should avoid collisions because someone yeah. can get hurt. But I think they tend to take the view that, oh, a slow speed corner like that is not a big issue. But, you know, then you can't apply that to cops, absolutely. can you? And, and the pair of them at, at cops, you know, it, it's, it's this uncompromising. There's no discernment. It seems to me on either side, there's no willingness to say, OK, I'm going to let this one go. And maybe Lewis has let it go on the f- lap one. You know, he tried an optimistic move. It didn't work. He let it go. With with Max, I get the sense he could have let this one go. He was round the outside. You know, Lewis had slipped through. He might be able to get back on the track behind him and have another go later. But I think there's also in his mind, he knew how lucky he'd been to get on the front row on pole position for the race because of the sprint race. And I think he knew this is yeah you know, the biggest lucky break he's ever had. And I don't think that when they came into Monza, they just, they had it down as a Mercedes track. It always looked like it was going to be a Mercedes circuit. They probably thought they're going to lose points. They'd be lucky to come out of there with not too big a points deficit. And he got lucky. He's on pole position. And then suddenly he loses it again because Lewis has gone through and he knew. So he knew that once Lewis had gone, his chance of him getting him back, a nil, And you just thought, no, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not saying this is a conscious thing. Yeah,
1: and you think about the bad luck he's had, Damon. I mean, he's had a huge mm. amount of bad luck. So as you say, this was an opportunity he had to take with both hands you know, in his mind.
0: But Damon, as a racing driver, at what point are you going to bail out of that overtake at the first chicane? Otherwise, you're never going to get it done, are you? You're saying he should have bailed out just after they turn right? Or do you think he should have just gone straight on through the polystyrene bollards?
2: No, he should have. He knows that he knows the the big sausage curb on the inside is there. So he knows once he's, if he can't just cut across that because he's going to slide into Lewis is is exactly what happened. So he knew he'd had to get out of there before that. And I just think he, you know, that is the job of the driver is to use his judgment. I mean, if he was flying an airplane, you'd want him to make the right decision, um, you know, as to whether to abort the landing or not. You know, not, not just go, all sod it, I'll try and land. <laughs>
1: <laughs> One thing I do want to pick up on is I know a number of fans were tweeting that, um, that Max didn't check that Lewis was okay um, after their collision. He was very quick to walk away. But if you do re-watch it, he does throw him a look to check. Now, he doesn't go over and, and, you know, pat him on the head in either aggression or affection, but he does check he's okay. So I think Max Verstappen is a good bloke, and I don't think we should assume that he wasn't concerned for Lewis's safety at that
0: moment. And he said that he did see Lewis moving in the cockpit. Exactly,
1: exactly, yeah.
0: And, and he wouldn't have known that, that his rear wheel was sat on Lewis's head because where they, when they actually came to a stop his car had sort of slid forward, hadn't it? So he wouldn't have seen that. Mm. Can we have a quick chat about the halo now? Is it just me or are we seeing more accidents with the halo? Look at Romain Grosjean in the Sakhir Grand Prix last year. Undoubtedly, the halo saved his life. Look at what happened on Sunday with Lewis Hamilton. There was even an incident at Spa in 2019 with Charles Leclerc. And, and then uh, I think... Uh, sato in in formula two was saved from serious injury at barcelona as well all since the introduction of the halo i I find it extraordinary thank goodness it's there but you start thinking how come there weren't more serious injuries pre-halo or are people just taking more risks now as a result or is it just coincidence what do people think
1: there is a sense that some of, particularly the sort of younger generation of drivers, feel bulletproof. You know, it's, it's almost the gaming generation that it almost doesn't feel real. The jeopardy isn't there in the same way, the danger element to them, maybe in their minds. And maybe that's why they can be raced so brilliantly, because it doesn't factor into their thoughts. But you don't know what kind of accident you're going to have when you have one. And the, the speed element obviously plays a big part in it. And so at that moment, it looked fairly innocuous between Lewis and Max. So I don't think you can say, well, actually, I'm going to go for a move here because I'll be protected by the halo. It's all subconscious,
0: though, isn't it? Okay? Yeah, maybe yeah.
1: somewhere deep in their psyches. They do feel protected in a way that they haven't before, to an extent that they haven't before. But I'm not sure that you can ever go into a situation, assuming you're going to have one type of accident and not another, and therefore the halo will save you in a way that it but, wouldn't have done before. Yeah. I, I, I I, don't know. I think, Damon, you can answer that question better than I, but perhaps even you can't because you didn't drive with a halo.
2: I mean, I had a halo, didn't I, Tom?
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> you still do, me, Damon.
2: Oh, I can see do. it now. Oh, yeah. But, Damon,
1: you but, um, had
0: you, you had your shoulders out of the cockpit. That's how low it was.
2: Oh, the Brabham. Do you remember that one? Mm. I was sticking out like a flipping, you know, like a lollipop sticking out the top of the car.
0: Co- Guys, it's just an observation, but it does seem extraordinary that the halo seems to be really making a, such a positive impression now when... But, Why wasn't it the case? Why weren't there more injuries before? And uh, thank goodness there weren't.
1: Okay, well, we can overthink that. We'll never find the answer to that, Tom. But what we can say is there were so many negative comments about the halo when it was introduced and they have just disappeared because I think we could all agree that it has been a welcome addition to the car. It doesn't change the thrill of the racing it still makes the car look beautiful and it just gives us an extra level of safety and security to the drivers that uh, are heroic as we've already said in their exploits at the weekend
2: you might even add to that the hands device because carla saints gave it a good test didn't he coming out of the scari in um the warm-up for before qualifying yeah 28g that impact oh god he hit that 28g and his head you can see the slam out i mean the hands device for people listening it's it's a shoulder strap that basically connects your shoulders to your head in a way that adds extra strength to your neck because what happened with um with mika Hakkinen famously a long time ago is he he didn't he, we didn't have it then and he hit something head-on very fast and his head went forward and he broke the base of his skull because his head hit the steering wheel but the other thing they were worried about is this overextension of the neck. And this these straps stop your neck from over-extending and breaking your neck, which is so Carlos Sainz was a lucky boy as well.
0: Carlos is making a habit of crashing in FP3 as well. Should we talk about Ferrari? I mean, he did it in, in Zandvoort, didn't he? And, um, I don't know. He just What is it about FP3? They just start to
2: turn up the wick. And um, it was quite a funny accident at Ascari there, wasn't it? There was a very unusual, I've never seen that anybody going to the inside before. I'm trying to rack my brains to think about someone doing that, but it lit up, he lit up the rear tires and they somehow, it yawed, it it went pointed towards the wall and then accelerated. I think it had still had some momentum in the tires. And then of course, these cars can corner at, you know, 5G. So even if he's pointing left when his car wants to go right, it gripped. Unfortunately, it was a bit of an indie style shunt into a wall, wasn't it? You know, where the they put on opposite lock and that's the wrong thing to do and he he hit that quite hard and you know i keep saying it wakes you up if it doesn't knock you out but um you know you don't want to do that too often but the number of I'm sure, i was talking to his, his dad um senior saints carlos saint senior about it and he, he was saying that, that carlos is having trouble feeling the back of the car so still settling into the ferrari
1: it's just so difficult to get a read on Ferrari, isn't it? They just have these little surges forward. It's almost like two steps forward and one back each week. You never really get an understanding of how they can perform at various different circuits. And, and you know, even when you ask them the question, is it track specific? Yes, perhaps. But why is it that uh, certain tracks, they can they can make these tyres work and others not? I mean, Charles got himself in a great position, didn't he? After the restart, he was up into P2 in, on fresher tyres, than Daniel. And you thought, you know, can he make a go of it? But you just, I don't know, there seemed to be a slight lack of confidence in the car at Monza, much to the uh, dismay of the Tifosi.
0: Yeah. And given that McLaren and Ferrari are battling for P3, it's, what is it, 13 and a half points the difference now. McLaren looked in a completely different league at Monza, didn't they? And, And Charles even said after the race, it was one of his best races in Formula One. So it wasn't like The driver wasn't performing, just the the pace of the car wasn't there. And I think there do seem to be a lot of parallels between pace at Monza and pace at Sochi, which looks like Sochi might be another difficult weekend for them. So McLaren need to make hay while they can before we go to, I mean, what is a Ferrari kind of circuit? Do you have to say Silverstone? Because Charles looked very good at Silverstone and was just, what, three laps from winning that Grand Prix.
2: Do we have to wait till we go back to a track like that? Perhaps Turkey. There's always the compensation with being a Ferrari driver is at least you're still a Ferrari driver, <laughs> which, is, which is something. He would have looked wistfully, wouldn't he, at Lando Norris going up the road in, uh, in his McLaren.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, I remember Carlos finished second at Monza last year. But talking about being a Ferrari driver at Monza, they, um, they went into Milan on Wednesday night to open, I think it was an Armani store or something and i don't know if you guys saw they posted some videos on uh, instagram of of the crowd going absolutely mental when they saw them and and so even though you know ferrari haven't had uh much success recently and carlos is only half a season into being a ferrari driver they're still worshipped by the tefosi and it's so brilliant to see and and it really gives you Goosebumps just hearing the Tifosi even coming into the track every day Damon you must how many autographs did you sign at Monza walking into the track?
2: One literally. (laughs) Is
0: that because because you were being miserable? or No No, because you're not allowed
1: within two meters. You're in a bubble. You are so strict.
2: Yeah
0: but you had to walk through that crowd didn't you? I had to there was there were still crowds of people outside or did you
2: find a different way in? No, they kind of keep us separate from everyone. So we're a little bit isolated. Um, uh. But um, I will say this, it's an anecdotal observation. And maybe it's a bit like policemen. You know, when, when you get older, they, you, you say oh, policemen are getting younger these days. The fans are getting younger. They seem to be a lot younger I agree. Um, than I remember. Yeah. But then I am a little bit older. No, so I totally agree. <laughs> it's the
1: same at Zandvoort. There was a really young crowd in there. But... I, I loved it. I mean, uh, I, I I went in with um, Jensen one day, and uh, he said, "No one recognises me anymore. I'm too old." And I said, "No, come on, of course they do." And he said, "No, but look, if you actually look at the the faces looking back in the crowd, they were many of them were teenagers and early twenties, and yeah, they they, they don't remember yeah. um, Jensen racing. And and this is why I think that, that they're just so inspired by." the likes of George and Lando and Charles. And, you know, e- even people like Lewis and Sebastian Vettel are sort of the oldest the elder mm. statesmen, if you like, for this yeah. new generation of fans and drivers. But I think we should just be really, you know, buoyed by that because it's great for our sport. That's and the future. It's the future. It looks great. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And by the way, Damon... Yeah. I would still stop both you and Jensen for an autograph if I saw you, just so you know.
2: I'll obviously be be delighted to give you an autograph, (laughs) Natalie, and for your children as well.
1: I mean, they haven't got a clue who you are. (laughs) (laughs) Any other key talking points? I thought it was a real shame for Alpha Tauri, who have sort of just... Under-delivered. I mean, Gasly obviously hasn't, but I'm talking about the team as a whole. It's been a sort of yeah. difficult season for them and to have such a damp squib at their home race was a real shame because mm. Gasly has been putting in some mega performances, but for, for neither car to see the chequered flag was hugely disappointing, wasn't
0: it? Well, the chequered flag, for neither flag... to the start, uh, but neither, the start.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, you're right. Not even the green, yeah, not even the because light. The lights, the uh, lights. Are you in a bit strong? I think Natalie... Do you feel like you learned a little bit strong, a little bit too early on Yuki? Oh, uh, no. I oh, no. you know, little bit.
1: Bahrain, it promised so much, didn't he? He just, you know, I thought he was the superstar of the future. You can't
2: go on testing. How many times do we have to tell you? Do not go on testing results. They mean nothing.
1: Even
0: when he's keeping it on the track, you know, he is so far off Pierre at the minute, isn't it? And Yeah. Um, I love his honesty, though. When asked about him re-signing for the team in 2022, he expressed... Surprise," he said yeah i was surprised
2: that they've re-signed me
1: were you surprised
2: you mean on performance yeah. or, or because he's important to honda i mean don't forget that is an element here so but honda
1: leaving so
2: and
0: honda might be about to win the world championship with max verstappen as well how much publicity do they need i i was probably surprised that they didn't bring alex albon back into the fold actually i think albon and, and pierre would be an extremely strong pairing but franz Tost really loves Yuki and perhaps it's it's unfair, isn't it? I think he needed a second season in Formula 2 anyway this year and then promoting him next year would have made more sense. So give him a second year, see what he can do. But we need to see some pretty strong progression from him, I think, for him to stay in Formula 1 beyond 2022. I yeah. mean, is that fair?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah Pierre Gasly is... is- top form and also you know he's he's a very highly rated driver you have to say his results are fantastic and so yuki Yeah the bar his, um... is quite high for Yuki isn't
1: it Yeah but I mean this car yeah. is decent as well I don't think we should forget that I think this is this is a decent car and it deserves better results
2: Hmm Yeah I mean it's good but it will always be a midfield team contender won't it it's not going to be a championship contender that's the issue with some of the teams Maybe not a championship contender Damon
0: but imagine if they'd had a second driver banging in the same sort of results that Piaz done this year I'm not quite sure where that would have put them in the constructors championship
2: but significantly further forward than where they are now makes you think doesn't it like you know with the regulation change what is the chance that somebody will have found a kind of double diffuser Ross Braun Braun GP type discovery could someone like Alpha have got someone working on something which will put suddenly put them in a title contending position it does happen you know, it has and when you change regulations suddenly you can get surprises and i th- certainly be one of the people who would be very surprised <laughs> if it happened. well also i think of all the
0: examples you could have given alpha tower is a bad one because i don't think they'll find it exclusively and if they suddenly find something i think your red bull will know about it pretty darn quick yeah. but, but what chance an alpine coming up with something and, and yeah. you know, uh, stealing a march on everybody else. Yes, it can happen. And it does sort of seem to happen so often in history that gives some rule stability. Everything converges. You get a fantastic world championship. Yeah, it's what we
2: got now, isn't it? And, it's all- and then it's all yeah.
0: changed. But let's hope the new generation gives us all the overtaking we want. And no one steals a march on anyone else. And uh, all is going to be good.
1: A quick mention for George Russell as well, back into the points again. I, I
2: knew you were going to say that.
1: Well, someone has to. Do. I think it's a great, <laughs> great weekend for him. Uh, he marches on.
2: But he, he got out qualified. He's no longer Mr. Saturday. He got out qualified by his teammate.
1: Yeah, but I think that's good as well for Latifi moving forward. It doesn't really. It is a little yeah. boost, isn't it, for, for the team Does as well? Does it count?
0: Sprint. Well, also... Yeah, no, it counts. It's so funny that... I feel this is how we're going to end up talking about: was the sprint any good or not? Because you say he was out qualified by Latifi, except my immediate reaction was to disagree. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Qualifying was on Friday afternoon, and George out qualified Latifi, so his one lap the, record yeah. is is in my opinion it's intact. Is intact? Yeah. What do we think? Did we think this this sprint was a success, Pinkles?
1: Well, I mean, I just love the entertainment. I just love the fact that we have three days of entertainment, far better than a practice session. Um, It keeps us on our toes. I think it keeps the drivers on their toes. Yeah, it's a thumbs up from me.
0: A lot of people saying Mm. after it, oh, there wasn't as much entertainment as there was at Silverstone. There wasn't as much overtaking. But it did mix up the grid a little bit for Sunday. It did achieve that.
1: And the start was fantastic. The start was hugely entertaining. But, you know, that's, again, probably more track-specific, isn't it? I think
0: you've hit the nail on the head, Pinkles. I think they need to choose very carefully which tracks you... To
1: host them at, yeah.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, I totally agree. It's better than a FP3 every day of the week.
1: Any more for any more? Well, I tell you what I do want more of. Ask Damon.
2: It's time. Oh, Are you ready, DH? It's been a while. Yeah. Uh, Come on, ask me anything you like. Hello, everyone. My name's Nick Hill from Kent. I really enjoyed the sprint race. Wouldn't it be great to have a sprint race 30 minutes long from classic drivers uh, such as yourself, Martin Brundle, Nigel Mansell? You know, all sorts of classic drivers just doing like a little sprint race. In support of the main race? Uh, do you think that would be a good idea, something you would enjoy to do? Anyway, I really enjoyed the podcast. Keep up the good work. Thanks a lot. Okay, so, Nick, yeah, yeah I can see what you'd like to see, but uh, I think the chances of me coming out and having a race, this, this race, motor racing is dangerous, you know, and uh, you do start to think about your self preservation. The idea of me racing alongside uh, some of the other older timers it wouldn't be very entertaining is what i'm getting around to saying i think we'd probably be a bit risk averse um that's my worry about that one uh, what do you think tom well do you remember about 15
0: years ago there was a thing called grand prix masters and oh yeah nick that is exactly what you've just asked for it was nigel mansell emerson fiddipaldi Derek warwick damon hill was missing i seem to
2: remember from that grid. Were you, were you invited? I had a te- No, this is what happened. I tested once for them and I set up the car that won. So uh, I'm, I, I played my
0: part. I never doubted you. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it has happened. And I don't know why that didn't last, that series. It did about one championship, didn't it? It's a bit worrying, Damon, when you... Well, when you see the likes of Nigel and, and Emerson, who would have been in his 60s then, going wheel to wheel at 160 miles an hour, you do start thinking, guys, you've been there, done it.
2: Relax a little bit, because, as you say, motor racing is dangerous. It's a bit like the revival, isn't it? A, a good with revival. They, I mean, I remember Sir Jack Brabham being hurled into the air in one of his cars in a racing in, don't forget, you know, cars from the 60s, which were made of paper mache and uh, and bits of chewing gum um, you know compared to today's carbon fiber things so I, I think that's Nick liked the sprint race didn't he and he was saying what else would he like to see some other entertainment maybe but it's all got to be relevant to the the main event that's the whole point is we're here for for F1 there are support races there are drivers who go and do the uh, Porsche Cup or whatever it is but um, yeah we try to entertain throughout the weekend the spectators but it would be a distraction more than, I think, an entertainment from the main event.
1: I'll sign you up for Pink F1.
2: Pink F1, yes.
1: (laughs) Now, our next question for you, Damon, is from Chris.
2: When you started out in Formula 1 as a fresh-faced 32-year-old, I remember you had a teammate called Alain Prost, and then after that, you had a teammate called Ayrton Senna, both multiple world champions, and you didn't always obey team orders. My question is, what advice would you have for George starting out in Mercedes next season? Should he toe the line, do as he's told, or should he just go for it and look after himself? Yeah, Chris, I I don't want to disappoint you, but I think I did obey team orders. I'm trying to think when I didn't. I was told by Frank quite a few times to... One of the best ones was I was following Alan Prost in the French Grand Prix and um, Alan came on the radio and said, can you ask Damon to go a bit slower? So they came on the radio and said, Damon, Alan wants you to go a bit slower. So I said, tell him I'm going as slow as I can. It wasn't much. We were so far in front of everyone else, Um, you know, but uh, Alan didn't want me to to push him. Uh, I was having a good time there, Uh, but I didn't pass him. I didn't overtake him. And the other time was in Monza, funnily enough, which we just had, where I got biffed off at the first corner and I was catching up Elaine, And I started to think to myself, what will I do if I catch him? Will I overtake him? And so they came on the radio and they said, "Uh, Damon, um, don't. If you catch Elaine, you know, don't overtake him. And so I came back on the radio and said, look, tell them I will race. I will race (laughs) because I was so fired up. I thought I'm not going to give this one away. And my engineer, John Russell, said, yes. okay, thank you. Anyway, a couple of years ago, in fact, this last year, John emailed me and I was chatting to him. And I said, you know, in Monza, when um, I said I will race, I didn't say I won't race. I said I will race. And he said, yes, I know. Anyway, it didn't come to it because Alan Pross engine, by the time I caught him, Alan Pross engine blew up. So we never got to find out whether I would have raced him or not. So that's my, that's my team order story. But yes, George Russell, don't stand on ceremony, but you don't want to come in and create trouble with the team you, you know, that supported you. This is a difficult one, isn't it? What do they, what do you think, Tom, Natalie, what do you think they, they, should they be so utterly selfish and just think of themselves? I'm trying to think of a moment when you were with Veal in 1996, disobeying team
0: orders at the minute. Pink's. While I, while I continue to mull on that one, what do you think about George?
1: I think he's going to be so hungry, but he is also showing massive patience um, at Williams. You know, he's sat tight and learnt his craft, and he's still young and uh, ambitious. I mean, we saw that moment at Imola, didn't we? And um, he was quite quick to reflect on that, that he should have handled things differently. I, I, I don't know. I think he's a pretty mature guy who will want a long future with the team. I think George, I think George will be quite cool. I think he's going to be a good team.
2: Yeah.
1: I do. I but really it's
2: do. its not what fans want. I don't think fans like the idea of team orders, do they?
1: No one likes team orders. No. It's like, you know, suddenly you're just saying we're going to take the racing element away. And, you know, that that spoils the whole show for everyone, doesn't it?
0: So look, 1996, Damon, Hungary, Villeneuve beats you. There must have been team orders. Wow,
1: well,
2: Villeneuve beat You were beat good in Hungary. Wh- in Hungary? Um, yeah. No, well, you're going to have to refresh my memory. I have a very poor memory for when I get beaten. So <laughs> I can't remember that one. I was, I was going to say that team orders are uh, not a good thing when, you know, when you've got the dr- one driver issuing the team orders, but then it worked all right in spa in 98
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly yes
2: and we nearly had exactly the same in monza didn't we with danny rick going uh you know if he doesn't race me we got a better chance of finishing one too which sounded very familiar
1: So thank you, Chris. Thank you, Nick. Great questions as ever. Keep them coming in for Ask Damon. And I just want to sum things up by saying what a weekend of sporting performances. The three R's, Ronaldo, Radicano, and Fairy Fairytale stuff for all three of them. Ronaldo to score two goals on his comeback for Manchester United, of which he said he was incredibly nervous about playing in that match. Ricardo, having had such a difficult first half of the season, but kept that smile going, kept his spirits up, kept his confidence going and came back with a win at Monza. 1-2 for McLaren, brilliant drive from Lando Norris. And then Raducanu, 18-year-old, what a sporting performance, perhaps the best ever in tennis, if not sport generally, to come back as the only qualifier to win a Grand Slam in the history of the sport and to be so mature and gracious in that moment. What a weekend!
2: Amazing, I astonishing. I mean, but I reckon she can claim the Monza Grand Prix as well.
1: <laughs> well, she's she won inspired the. U- Daniel. Because
2: basically, totally. So I think she's got a double whammy there. She's actually won at motorsport at the same time as winning in tennis. She's incredible, and she's a Formula One fan. She came to Silverstone, didn't she? Had a few hot laps. Uh, I think she was a guest of Red Bull
0: at Silverstone, wasn't she? But Although
1: she loved- admitted that Daniel's actually her favourite driver. So she came with Red Bull, but she left with a H- McLaren firmly in her heart.
0: Well, hey, Pinks, in, in the press conference after the race, I did put the Radicanu question to the top three. This is what they said. I watched the whole game last night. I can say it now. I'm not going to shy away from it. I went to bed at probably quarter to one because I couldn't turn it off. It was, it was awesome. I guess it's relatable to me in a, in a way from just my age coming into to Formula One and for her age going into the big stage of tennis. Um, the confidence and ability that she she showed on on that stage to be, to perform and do such a job that she did against so many of the the world's greatest, I think, is a pretty incredible achievement from her. So, um, yeah, congrats to her, and uh, I'm sure she'll continue to create many more records. Thank you, and Valtteri, please. Uh, I haven't seen the game, or I didn't actually know it was on. So, but sounds good. Congrats. <laughs>
2: Uh, that's, I love your honesty. <laughs> I've got to say, um, much as I'm delighted for McLaren and for Danny Ricciardo, I'm not so delighted about the return of the shoey. It's something that makes me feel slightly <laughs> queasy when I see that and uh, being passed around and poor old. I mean, I, yeah, Zach is Bound to, he'd go for it. But I, Lando did say he's not doing that again. That's disgusting. That's going above and beyond. Uh, you know, your team obligations, supporting your your fellow driver by drinking out of his boot after he's won a Grand Prix. <laughs> but you know, then he, he gave his shoe away. He gave one of his shoe, one of his shoes to the team, and he's given it. The other one ended up in the crowd somewhere. And um, so he's not got, not got any shoes, and he was wandering around the paddock afterwards in the post-race conferences and chats in his socks. Uh, but he didn't care. He was happy. Well, McLaren, buy him some trainers
0: next time. (laughs) He's got star quality, that boy. I was reminded on Sunday just how much we've missed Daniel Ricciardo at the sharp end. Star quality, what he says, the way he acts, the way he smiles. He was still there at 9.30 on Sunday night, just speaking to anybody who'd listen. It was just love him.
1: Uh, You'd want to lap it all up, wouldn't you? You want to soak up the atmosphere and the reaction and... I'm sad for him that his family weren't there in person to to hug him. But uh, can you imagine that when they're reunited for the first time in what will be nearly two years, it will just be so emotional. Well, I think that's
0: it. Another week done. What an amazing weekend. Loved it, but a little bit of time to recharge before all three of us head out to Sochi.
1: And what's going to happen in the meantime between now and Sochi? I'll tell you what's going to happen. Damon and I both have our birthdays.
2: Oh, God, another birthday. I haven't got in my diary. Um, When's your birthday, actually? (laughs) Which one is it?
1: The 20th of (laughs) September, Damon. I remind you every year.
2: So we'll have a little prezi when we go out to Russia and um, we'll do a little celebration out there.
1: Have a little session in Russia. Thank you, guys. What a pleasure. Just when we didn't think F1 could get any better, another absolute thriller was delivered and it's been great to talk through it with you both.
2: The F1 Nation podcast is now over. They think it's over and it really is.
1: F1 Nation is a podcast produced in association with Formula One and Audioboom. Totally wrong, wasn't it?
0: Totally wrong. Totally wrong, but you get the message, don't you, folks? (laughs)